Hey everybody, The Talking Book is a nonprofit audiobook recording studio in Asheville, North Carolina. If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. Hi everyone, welcome to the Talking Book Podcast. My name is Chris Hartram, and you come here to listen to the best writers read their work. It's a reading. In your ears, on the go, it's a real thing. It's fucking real. And you know what else are real? Vampires. Vampires are real. And you know how I know? I don't know. But I've been watching a lot of horror movies this October. Like most people, Nothing but actually. I have a strict rule during October. Nothing but horror. Not a television show. Not a commercial. Nothing. Um, But I'm 90% sure at this point that vampires are real. I don't have any proof. So don't ask for proof. But my favorite horror movies I've watched this year were Catherine Bigelow's After Dark. If you've ever seen that classic. Somehow I'd never seen it. Tony Scott's The Hunger, the one with David Bowie and Catherine Deneview, Susan Sarandon. I saw that a long time ago, but it had been a while. And as always, Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, which you know what? Say what you want about Keanu's performance, but other than that, it's nearly a perfect film. You know, what are yours? What are your favorite horror movies that you've watched this year? Write into the talking book. And let me know. I really want to know. I need some more uh, wrecks. I don't know. There's probably not going to be any time. But I I would love for you to tell me what you want me to watch. Anyway, enough of that. This is all connected because today I am honored to present to you a reading by Christina Rosso, who wrote a book called Creole Conjure, which is coming out on Halloween, October 31st. Rooted in New Orleans, Creole Conjure is an interconnected short story collection that mixes and matches folklore and fairy tales to create a unique mythos of its own. It follows various female or female identifying characters trying to find their way in a world built upon deception and oppression. Inspiration taken from European fairy tales, Greek mythology, and Louisiana folklore. It comes out this year, October 31st, Halloween, from our friends at Maudlin House. So you see how... It's important for me to tell you that I think vampires are real because this book is coming out now. And now I present to you an excerpt from the short story, J. Alistair's Shop of Horrors from Creole Conjure by Christina Rosso. Enjoy. I'm Christina Rosso, author of Creole Conjure, and I'm going to read an excerpt from the story J. Alistair's Shop of Horrors. I hope you enjoy it. An old brass bell clanged. A pair of small feet pitter-pattered on the scuffed wooden floor. The little girl darted in, a flash of brown hair, flushed cheeks, and worn clothing. She threw a series of coins, pennies, nickels, dimes, and two quarters onto the wooden desk that served as a register and ticket booth. She ripped the white paper ticket from the old man's withered hand and ran toward the door. She yelled, thanks, mister, over her shoulder. 
She heard the old man muttering to himself, pictured him pulling out his ratty, yellowed handkerchief from his shirt's chest pocket to wipe off the money before handling it himself, imagined him calling her a filthy rodent under his breath. That wasn't a fantastical thought. He'd called her something similar before. And much worse. She twisted the glass knob for the entrance, leaving oily fingerprints behind. No doubt the old man, a Mr. J. Alistair, would wipe those off when he was done cleaning the change and the desk's surface. He couldn't stand the filth. The girl knew this, but she didn't care. She could see evil resided in him. She was no idiot. She knew when to fear someone. Living on the street quickly teaches you who you can and cannot trust. The girl did not trust Mr. J. Alistair. However, she couldn't stay away from his shop of oddities and antiques, from his museum of the bazaar. Her name was Jessie, and this was her 30th visit to the museum in the old man's shop. She came every afternoon she could afford. Her rule was eat first, then play. She begged for spare change from tourists, locals, and street artists around Jackson Square and along Bourbon Street so she could buy a beignet or lemonade. Whatever was left went towards visiting the museum. It was Jessie's favorite place in the entire world, or at least what little she'd seen of it, and she found it funny that her favorite place was also the scariest. The bellman said it wasn't ha-ha funny, but ironic. Sure, she replied, even though she didn't know what ironic meant. Jessie was nine years old. She knew this because the bellman told her so. He knew many things most of them about life and death. She wasn't worried about that second part because the bellman told her he didn't see her dying for a very long time, and he was almost never wrong about these kinds of things. It wasn't fair of the girl to say her friend was wrong because sometimes destiny stepped in and changed the future. Sometimes you were supposed to live for 40 more years and whoop, destiny changed its mind and tomorrow you die from a heart attack. Life's a bastard, the bellman always said. He then shrugged, as he always did, to communicate that he had nothing else to add. That was fine with Jesse. Life was a bastard. When you didn't have a climate-controlled house to go home to after playing in the sweltering Louisiana heat all day, or a delicious home-cooked meal that consisted of more than fried dough doused in powdered sugar, she did all right, though. The bellman kept her company at night at Armstrong Park, watching over her while she slept, and during the day she took care of herself hustling tourists on the humid, bustling streets of the French Quarter. Jessie thought she was a natural street performer, like that lady that turned into the Honey Island Swamp Monster. The tourists didn't ooh and ah about her dancing or juggling the way they did over the monster lady. The bellman said fame wasn't everything, and that Jessie should strive to be better than a fraud. That woman is not what she appears to be, he told her, but refused to explain further. Come to think of it, Jessie hadn't seen the monster-shifting lady in a while, but that wasn't something to worry about. Street performers came and went. It was the nature of the beast, pun intended, she said to the bellman. His ghoulish blue-white face twitched almost imperceptibly, which meant he was amused by her joke. He was the girl's only friend. She didn't mind, though, because he was the best friend a girl like her could have. There was only one thing his friendship couldn't give her, though. One thing she wanted more than anything. And that was a doll. Many little girls love to play with dolls. 
Barbies, American Girl dolls, porcelain plastic cloth, it doesn't matter. You can play dress up and make believe with them, take them on play dates to school, to family dinners, hold them in your arms while you sleep. Jessie was desperate for one, which would have probably been surprising to most who saw her around the city. She didn't look like a girly girl, certainly not one who wanted to braid a doll's saran or canoclin hair or dress her up in a variety of outfits. Jessie was tough, literally. Her sunburnt skin taut, hardened around its edges. She wore shorts and a t-shirt, never dresses. Her hair was wild, unmanaged. She cursed when the bellman wasn't around to scold her for such foul, unladylike language. She ran around Jackson Square Park like a monkey, her fingers in her armpits as she hopped around, swinging from the bars of the iron fence enclosing the park. She stood on the base of the bronze statue of Andrew Jackson and swallowed bugs and other items for money. The bellman said it wasn't an appropriate way to honor the general who helped win the Battle of New Orleans. Jessie shrugged. It just looks like a dude on a horse. The bellman shrugged in response, dropping the matter. What the people who stopped to watch Jessie perform her various talents didn't see was that her t-shirt and shorts were the only clothing she had besides a white sweatshirt, now brownish in color, that said Laissez le bon temps brûler in large neon purple letters. She hid it behind a dumpster, a large rock on top of it, outside of a barbecue joint on hotter days. Jessie had never had the option to wear a dress or a skirt or even bows in her hair. She never had the chance to see if she was girly or more tomboy or neither. She had seen all different types of kids in New Orleans, yet none of them seemed to be like she was. None of them made sense to her. Seeing girls and sometimes boys with dolls was one thing that did make sense to her, though. Jessie wanted one to play make-believe with and to hold close to her chest at night. She wanted what she called a forever friend. But she couldn't go into any store and buy a doll. Jessie had lost count of the number of times she had been eyed nervously by shopkeepers along Royal Street while she looked around, their words clipped and sharp as they said, please don't touch the merchandise. It always surprised her how a word like please could sound so harsh and accusatory. Sometimes the shopkeepers even chased Jessie out of the store shouting after her thief or rodent. The girl quickly learned that they saw her as dirty and untrustworthy simply because she was homeless. The shops along Royal Street were for the wealthy tourists too inebriated to realize half of the shops in the stretch sold identical merchandise. Three months ago, however, Jessie stumbled upon a different kind of storefront, one tucked away from the busy streets like Bourbon and Royal, one devoid of tourists, panhandlers, and discarded Mardi Gras beads. Jazz echoed down the block, fading the further she went. The quiet and stillness were unfamiliar to the girl. She rolled off the unease, crawling along her spine. On the wall of the building was a portrait of a bearded woman. The woman wore a tall collar with a brooch in the middle. A thick black beard tickled the pin. Taped beside it, a flyer said, Love the bazaar? Come to Jay Allister's Oddities and Antiques to behold a collection of the weird, the scary, the wacky. $5 entry. The words did little for Jessie, mostly because she read at a first grade level. The advertisement seemed crowded to the little girl, trying to be fancier than it was. However, one thing piqued her interest. Below the words was a black and white photograph of a doll. It was poor quality, grainy, and not completely in focus, but the doll's face was perfectly clear to Jessie, like she had seen it before. 
The doll had a pale face with high curved eyebrows, eyes large and wide, pupils nearly exploding with thick eyelashes, lips a heart without the pointed bottom, cheeks rounded with painted circles. The doll had lopsided, dark bangs, and wore the expression of someone who was paralyzed by fear. A few people stopped to look at the flyer while Jessie was there. She scowled as they said, that doll looks possessed. Or why would I want to see a creepy doll when I could see a bearded woman? Where's that exhibit? Jessie curled her arms, bringing her fingers to her armpits. She bared her teeth and began to make monkey sounds until the people hurried away. She shook her head. She thought the doll looked beautiful and lonely, like she needed a friend. And Jessie planned to be just that. Thank you so much. Okay, there you have it. Christina Rosso reading from her new book, Crayole Conjure. You can get that book everywhere great books are sold. And at modelinhouse.net, of course, where it was published. Christina Rosso lives and writes in South Philadelphia with her husband, Together, they run an independent bookstore and event space called A Novel Idea. Her debut chapbook of feminist fairy tales, She is a Beast, was released in May 2020. Her writing has been nominated for the Best of the Net and the Pushcart Prize. And I'll leave a link to the book and Christina's work in the show notes. Thanks so much to the author and to Maudlin House. Thanks so much to Dave... Flippin' Burr for editing this show. Thanks as always to Keegan Grambois, Alex Sturgis, and Holler Boys for the music. It takes a village, you know, to do this. A spooky village. Halloween is now upon us. Uh, you know, it's getting really scary around here. I've only got enough hours to watch. Maybe a couple more. Maybe we'll do Suspiria. Danny's never seen that. Maybe something Japanese and classic like Kuroneko or Onibaba. How can I choose? It's so hard to say. Um, If you'd like to be on this podcast or you are a publisher and you are interested in audiobook production, hit me up at thetalkingbook.org. We're here in Asheville. We're here and we want to kill you. Go get Creole Conjure right freaking now. Happy Halloween. I love you. Bye. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit before I Door was passing over, and the window. Was